lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, all of you coming up on today's show. Dr. Scott Atlas will be joining us. We haven't talked to Scott in many a moon. He'll be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. I'm just going to ask him your thoughts on the pending retirement of Anthony Fauci, and then I'll just make sure that we get out of here on time uh, for the top of the hour commercial break. <laughs> That's literally the only question I've got teed up, and then we'll just see what happens from there. Uh, next hour, we get into Theology Thursday as we continue our look at uh, my most recent book, Do What You Believe or You Won't Be Free to Believe It Much Longer, and we'll get into three non-political questions as well. Um, right off the top, I want to mention something that we were discussing at the top of the show yesterday. Are we watching a grand pivot take place? And again, this is a pivot that last year I thought for sure they would make. This year, I changed my mind because I'm still not ready yet and may never be, who knows, to fully embrace Todd's medical ideology and people like him. But I am certainly convinced of the cult of the magical power of vaccines after the last year. I am certainly convinced of that. And would millions of people just say, yes, I am a living cadaver for Pfizer and then just turn around and say, wow, these things were terrible and I probably should have never taken them. I, that just seemed, you know, a level of self-assessment that a, a cult is incapable of. But what have you offered that cult, because it's all the same people, an even bigger idol, an even more meaningful groupthink experience? This is also dumb. It's also where we are. I know. It is, dude, one-fourth of Gen Zers just told an American pollster their career goal is social media influencer. Yeah. One-fourth, Todd. One-fourth. That they think their job in the future is going to be social media influencer. They're just going to work and live on TikTok all day long. One-fourth, Todd. Steve, name the three Kardashian sisters. Exactly. So don't don't come at me with this <laughs> oh, is I'm so not dumb. At you. <laughs> it is dumb. I'm with you. It is the most stupid time ever to be alive in all of human history right now. Yes. All right. Because of all the information and education and everything else at our fingertips, and we've just collectively never been dumber in spite of all that. And maybe even because of it, frankly, if we're being really honest. But We had this discussion yesterday. I know a lot of you in the audience have been anticipating this all along. Our CEO here, Tyler Carden, has been predicting this all along. I I wavered on my prediction. And maybe I overreacted to really for the first time in my life coming into full contact with, as Todd calls it, the magical power of vaccines. And I'm like, whoa. And I've covered, because all I kind of do nowadays is cover cults, but I've never seen a cult quite like this. I mean, this is... This is even beyond the abortion cult and some of the other cults I've seen. Well, if you needed further confirmation that the great pivot has officially commenced, I present for you 
two pieces of evidence. The one that I'll mention in a minute is one many of you have already seen. But I don't know how many of you have seen the first one I'm going to mention here. The Daily Beast, which of course is regime approved media, which is why they like never get cited or mentioned on this show, has a story out citing a study that Paxlovid doesn't work for the vast majority of people who need it the most. Shows absolutely no benefits whatsoever. Hmm. Now, we could have told you this like a year ago. But this is regime-approved media. And that brings us to the second piece of evidence. YouTube is now lifting its guideline against claiming that the jabs don't stop the spread of the virus. Now... Today is August 25th. On August 6th of last year, more than a year ago, it was August 6th of last year, Rochelle Walensky, figurehead of CDC, went on with Wolf Blitzed, still one of Russia's greatest nicknames ever, went on with Wolf Blitzed and said out loud in a clip that I think we have probably played on this show approximately 666 times, if you know what I'm saying, G. That's fact-checked, it's true. Yes. Uh, uh, She admitted on August the 6th on national television, granted it's CNN, so I I won't blame you for not seeing it, and for the most of the country missing it, but on August 6th, she admitted last year on national television that the vaccines, this was during the height of the Delta wave, the vaccines no longer stop the spread of the virus. She said this, the head of CDC said this on August 6th of last year. And now today, on August 25th of this year, as you've watched Jill Biden now get COVID for a second time, Joe Biden got COVID for a second time, tested positive eight days in a row, despite being allegedly quadruple jabbed. And now... After the story, did you guys even know? I didn't even know that there was a committee of, of House Democrats looking at no, I didn't know. Uh, the, the Operation Warp Speed. I wasn't even aware of this. Granted, in fairness to us, there are so many comprehensive investigations of anybody that's even Trump adjacent these days. It is hard to keep up with them all. Fair? Indeed. Indeed. So most of us had no idea this was even going on until they released a paper yesterday saying that they rushed Operation Warp Speed to try to get the vaccines out quicker in order to win the 2020 election. And that is what prompted this whole conversation yesterday is the pivot on. And I was at least open to it, but still a little, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Today, with the YouTube news, and I got to tell you, man, I hate those Fargan bastages on a molecular level, like on a molecular level. Um... The YouTube news on the heels of this report yesterday. What what was the point of YouTube lifting this yesterday or this morning? Why? Why? Just, you know, some somebody had the wrong avocado toast over there and an algorithm engineer decided, you know, it's been over a year since Rochelle Walensky's fessed up. I guess we can go ahead and let the truth be told on our platform. Why now? Why the day after? We've already, we've already got FOIA requests and 
and an actual physical evidence of collusion between these entities and Democrats in office, right? We already have it. We already have it. Alex Berenson's let forth his own files of the White House trying to get him banned from these platforms, right? We already have physical evidence that this collusion exists. So I suppose you have two options here. You can believe that for whatever reason, YouTube just found out that on August 6th of last year, the head of CDC admitted on national television that the vaccines no longer stop the spread of the virus. And we're like, oh, snap. We didn't know. Okay, you guys can talk about that then. The experts have agreed. Or you could you could note that they make this decision, Todd, the day after this House report comes on. Forgive me, but after Brett Kavanaugh, Roy Moore, COVID, the jabs, the border, everything else, I'm probably going to side here with the latter. The pivot is on. That is my official position. The pivot is on. What, what to what extent it will go, how many will sign on board, but whatever needs to be done to give some base culpability for the data that is coming out right now that is devastating about the effects of these jabs. They are setting the stage to at least place some of the blame at the feet of the man who wants sole credit for all of it, Donald Trump, and they're about to give it to him. Well, I'm like you. Uh, as much as I believe in the cult of vaccines... I also have competing cults going on in my head, and I believe that when the lie is the point, ultimately, you will try anything in the name of politics. And this has the impossible feeling of that 48-hour period where a guy named Joe Biden, who won nothing in the first three uh, presidential primaries, Steve, back mm-hmm. in 2015, suddenly within a 48-hour period was necromanced to be the guy. It has the feeling that this is a political machination right now akin to that. The other part of this as well that I've had trouble wrapping my minds around how would they how would they pivot is the profit of Pfizer and their partners and and all of that. Well, you can see what they're doing now. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to say those bad, th- those jabs bad. These next ones really yes. bad. Yes, that's how they're yes. doing this pivot. They're trying. And, and, and so they're, they're trying to that's keep. That's a great point. They're trying to keep the jab, um, the jab cult going yes. while at the same time trashing the old ones. Yes. It's yes. incredible. Yes, that's a great point because. How are they going to continue their biomedical fascist regime? Well, these ones are more proven. These ones are more tested. We put these things through rigorous testing. They weren't rushed like the ones that Orange Man Bad demanded we do. That he even claimed he's out there at how many of his rallies has he said in the last two years? They said it couldn't be done. They said it couldn't be done. I got it done in nine months. And we're, we're five minutes away from commercials saying, who thinks you can make successful vaccines in nine months? There's a reason we were so far behind on variants. We didn't rush these vaccines. The re- so we had no other vaccines to give you other than the old ones. See, now, now dude, now I'm riffing off of what you just yeah. said. It makes total, that's the missing link of the story right there. You just provided the, 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 you just provided the elbow, the shoulder. That's the joint right there, brother. That's the pivot. Well, I mean, that's why that's why we're so far behind on variants. That's why we're just now coming out with an Omicron variant. You can't do this we in nine months time. like Trump claimed. No. We but we had to rush them because he made us rush them. He got and he was desperate to win the election. And didn't we tell you from the beginning, didn't President Kamala, because this time next year she will be, didn't President Kamala tell you she wouldn't trust a vaccine from Donald Trump? Yeah, brother. 
Fire, fire that, fire that up. It's got a good beat and you can dance to it. You can see that puppy coming. Napoleon right. from Animal Farm right now is just exactly. like, pull one out, man. Yep. That's, that's a great reference. Absolutely it is. All right, we have something special here. Well, you won't find it special after you watch it. But it is special compared to what we typically do with Aaron's montage. And I'll tell you about it, and you'll see it here. After we tell you about our friends over at Taiga Coolers, we're heading into peak cooler season. We're still in August at least for in the next few days, the biggest vacation month of the year, state fair month in a lot of places around the country. But we're also now heading into football season, tailgate season. It is peak cooler season. If you want a peak cooler from our friends at Tiger Coolers, American-made, American employees, pro-American company. They share your values. They'll customize it for you as well. If you've got you know, your own corporate logo you want on there, you want to put your kid on there, your family crest, whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't violate any copyright law, they can do that for you or they can just sell you a pretty kick-ass cooler. If you just don't care what's on it, you just want one that's really good. They'll do that too. And they'll sell it to you for 10% off when you go uh, to tigacoolers.com and enter the promo code Steve to get that discount. 10% off tigacoolers.com t-a-i-g-a for tigacoolers.com promo code steve to get ten dollars off at tigacoolers.com so today we have decided we are not going to do a montage of what happened while we were away and instead we are going to open the show by featuring this report that i want to warn you if you i don't do this very often i'm going to make an exception here which should give you an idea of the subject matter we are about to cover. If you are listening or watching right now with little ones and you, you, know, you can't get them into another room or you can't put on headphones, I, we would strongly urge you to come back and watch and listen to this portion of the program at a later time when young, impressionable eyes and ears uh, that don't need to be tarnished and corrupted, even though they're trying to get to them, uh, are, are not within eyesight or earshot of this report. So three, two, one. And with that said, here's a report and a very disturbing one from my oldest daughter, Anastasia. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached a new level of evil. If you even thought that was possible, a minor attracted person is defined as an individual with sexual attraction to individuals who are minors or below the legal age of consent. Folks, my name is Miranda. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and sex therapist in Erie, Pennsylvania. And today I wanna to talk about minor attracted persons. And I want to talk about minor attracted persons because they are probably the most vilified population of folks in our culture. And most folks are making incorrect assumptions about them without actually knowing much about them. And those assumptions create harm for an already marginalized population. You may have noticed that I'm using the term minor attracted persons, sometimes abbreviated to MAPS, instead of the more commonly used term pedophile. And I'm doing this because the term pedophile has moved from being a diagnostic label to being a judgmental, hurtful insult that we hurl at people in order to harm them or slander them. Now, we can't blame Miranda too much for this point of view because leading this march is a woman by the name of Alan Walker. Doctor, 
Alan Walker. Now, don't let the buzz cut and the petras you grow throughout puberty fool you. This is, in fact, a woman. Now, Dr. Alan Walker used to work for the Old Dominion University before she decided it was, quote, her time to go, unquote. However, she was put on a professor watch list, and I think it was very clear that she was fired, but maybe that's just me speculating. Anyways, now Dr. Alan Walker get this, works for the John Hopkins University and their child sexual abuse wing. So not only is this evil woman leading the march for pedophiles to be included and praised in society, she's also helping children overcome sexual abuse. Ladies and gentlemen, when we live in a world where there's no definitions for anything, not even simple terms anymore, this is what happens and this is what we've been saying for years. Now, Dr. Alan Walker came out with a book called A Long Dark Shadow. Minor attracted people in their pursuit of dignity. God, what an amazing time. Their pursuit of dignity, but you know, because they're not popular because they're pedophiles. Now, the introduction to this book is to those who accept themselves, to those who are working on it, and to those who accept others, even when it's hard. I mean, yes, it is very hard to accept pedophiles because they prey on children. So here's a study that she did, it says, quote, I conducted semi-structured interviews with 42 MAPs across the globe. Most of these interviews took place over the phone or over text-based chat, although some were through video chat or in person. As I was interested in speaking only to non-offending minor attractive people, requirements for participation in my study were that my participants had to be 18 years or older, preferentially or exclusively attracted to individuals under the age of 18, and that they had never committed a crime involving sexual contact with a minor. The MAPs I interviewed and whose narratives are presented throughout this book range in age from 19 years old to their mid-60s, with the majority in their 20s and 30s. Guys, are you listening to this? 19 years old to 60-year-old men. That's so gross. And she says the majority were men. Here are some other quotes from Dr. Alan Walker that got her put on the professor watch list. Quote, having an attraction to minors, as long as it isn't acted on, doesn't mean that the person who has those attractions is doing something wrong. Unquote. Quote, a lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender. And that isn't true. And it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attraction towards minors. Now, it's not only Dr. Alan Walker anymore. We are now getting into the territory of other people catching on pedophiles. So here's a quote from a Reddit board that I found. Let's get a few things straight. Minor attracted people are people who are sexually attracted to those under the age of 18. I am one of them. As a pedophile who's attracted to prepubescent kids, however, we're all very different people. Many of us, myself included, don't ever have relationships with kids. We know it's wrong. We believe in being good people. And so although we might have sexual desires, we find other outlets for them that don't involve children or else we suppress our desires entirely. I, I don't know about you guys, but when I read, although we might have sexual desires, we find other outlets for them. I immediately think of child pornography. Again, let me reiterate this. When we don't have definitions for simple terms such as woman, such as man, such as marriage, everything changes. We are now in an evil state. Now, from everything I can find, this is a fairly new movement from 2021 to 2022. We have time. We have the time to shut this down. Shut evil people down. This is pedophilia. 
ladies and gentlemen. Now, what you're seeing on your screen is the MAP minor attracted person flag. Yes, you heard that right. The minor attracted persons flag. Remember when the rainbow flag came out and then the trans flag came out and then the lesbian flag came out and we never thought it could get worse? Well, folks, it's gotten worse. This isn't made up. This is real life. Face it, fight it. A report uh, for the show from my oldest daughter, Anastasia. Great work, Anna. Great work. Let's get some reaction to what you just saw. Todd, I'll let you begin. Well, this is usually the point where you say, I don't think I'm going to go to Todd because I don't think I can trust what he has to say. Uh, there's devils. Hell is empty. Yeah. For all the devils are here. Yeah. You know, I don't... This is... I've been made public enemy number one in a public school district because I've been pointing things like this out. And I hate it, but I'm all... I'm always right about this slippery soap. It's 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 undefeated. And either you come to terms with this. We, we I mean we've had the attorney representing the folks uh, uh, in in our uh, Linmar School District here in Iowa. That uh, that uh, that woman said this is the most egregious case of this kind of thing she's seen, and it's in Iowa, which is, relatively speaking is a red state. You, you, this is a war. It's a, it's a civil war that, go, that goes beyond territory. It goes beyond form of government. It, it, again, this is about the definition of reality itself. It's either going to be giving the good, the true, and the beautiful a chance, or it is going to say we prefer hell. If you allow this to exist... It doesn't matter what you're doing on your weekends with your free time, which idol you're polishing, how much first world comforts you have, you are choosing hell. So, Aaron, before I go to you, I want to add a little context to why the fact that this is is being mainstreamed within Johns Hopkins University matters. First of all, Ben Carson uh, spent a, a good deal of the the preeminent portion of his medical career as a surgeon for Johns Hopkins University. And we just went through a situation in COVID where we all discovered that our local doctor isn't our local doctor anymore. Uh, they are fed protocols and studies and quote unquote research uh, and guidelines from on high, from a few elite sectors, from CDC, FDA, and then they, you know, they just apply your situation to What's in the protocol? What's in the notebook? That, that, and, they, and very few doctors will veer from it and treat you as an individual. We all just went through this under COVID for the last 28 months, right? right? Going on 29. So keep that in mind when I tell you. World University rankings. Johns Hopkins rated number 10 rated university in the world. Uh, top 100 universities in the United States uh, by topuniversities.com. It's rated number 11. The, the 100 best nursing schools in the United States. The Nursing School Almanac ranks Johns Hopkins number two in the entire country. Best medical schools in the country, according to U.S. News & World Report, Johns Hopkins is rated number three. Top 25 internal medicine residencies. Number one, according to the Beckett Hospital Review, Johns Hopkins University. If this is getting mainstreamed, Aaron, at Johns Hopkins University, absolutely 
that is getting fed into the bloodstream of the entire medical establishment eventually, if not currently. Every day, Matt Walsh and or libs of TikTok post yet another video of another hospital somewhere in this country where people, mainly women, doctors, doctors, ethicists, talking just glibly, just glibly about gender-affirming care. Even joyfully, as we saw with Boston Children's Hospital. Like it's a happy thing. You know, most of the time, at least there's some, some degree of, uh, uh, this is a serious matter. H- how does it happen? Demonic possession? Yeah, yeah. That can be. But when you just slowly but surely, IV drip, 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 drip this into the, into the consciousness of an entire industry... The medical industry. That's how you get those people to talk so glibly about this. And the same thing is going to happen with so-called maps. Same thing is going to happen. Slippery slope, the only argument in the history of arguments that is undefeated. Correct? Correct. When people were laughed at for saying this is going to end up with pedophilia, dismissed for saying that, how you like me now? This is why this is why our government, our constitution is only designed for a moral and religious people. Really. Because what happens when the people are not moral and religious? Well, I'm sure you've seen that video kind of t- putting a bow on this conversation to some degree, coming full circle. You, know, you talked about earlier, Steve, the, uh, the, the quarter of young people who want to be influencers all day. Moral and religious people. Uh, you've, seen that, you've seen that video, I think maybe, of the religious philosopher in India named Osho talking about the definition of democracy. And he's old and he's got this long beard and he looks like he's about to fall asleep. And he says the definition of democracy is government by the people, of the people, for the people. But the people are retarded. Yep. That's what we're talking about here. And you go quickly from that to, well, it's not just stupidity, idiocy. There's a lot of that. That's just why we're simultaneously, there's, there's no mistaking, we are simultaneously living in the most stupid times and the most evil times. Because those things can be interchangeable. When you're a sheep, you'll fall for anything. You'll do anything, including evil. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the edge of the slope. The end of the slope. Because a long time ago, we ceased being a moral and religious people. So yeah, there are hordes of doctors out there who will gladly hack off the breasts of your 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 It's in the protocol body. guidelines, Aaron. I'm just following the guidelines from Johns Hopkins. Within five years, even less than that at this pace. You will not on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, at the rate this is declining... You will not be able to call a minor attracted person a pedophile. You'll not be able to do that. 
And if it's consensual, if it's consensual, hey, we're letting uh, 10-year-old kids, we're letting them decide what their right. gender is. Why, they, they why can can't they consent that, to sex Why then? can't they? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can see where this is going. Absolutely. You can yep. see the dominoes were very, very... Well, they were uh, they were put there on purpose. There's a reason why they they did the whole gender dysphoria thing and transgenderism thing before the pedophilia thing. It's very very intentional. Because now that they have, in the minds of almost I would say at least a quarter, maybe up to a third of the American people, just eradicated a bedrock of the age of consent in something involving your sexuality, your gender, your identity. It's an obvious next step now to take. If they had done it the other way around, people would have revolted. People have said, this is revolting. We're not doing this. And they would have never made it to their second point of gender. That's why they started with the gender, just as Aaron said. That's another salient observation that Aaron has made. That's two already uh, in the first half hour of the program. So apparently we don't have to spend hours putting that montage together. Your analytical skills really improve here live on the air, brother. Slept in this morning because I didn't have to do the montage. <laughs> but um, but th- those dots, you have to, and and the dude wearing the rainbow glasses in, in Anna's video isn't diabolical enough to connect the kinds of dots that we're talking about. The the principalities from the unseen realm that are driving this agenda, though, they are. Well, we've got, quote-unquote, student loan forgiveness. We've got the Inflation Reduction Act that almost nobody actually thinks will reduce inflation. We've already got the worst inflation we've had in 40 years. Find out why precious commodities like gold and silver have long been used as a hedge by smart, prosperous people who want to protect their wealth and prosperity against government schemes and government debasements. Find out. When you go to our friends over at Bullion Max, they want to get you started today with their silver starter kit. They will offer it to you at employee pricing. That includes the very popular Silver American Eagle. They cannot offer it any more inexpensive than that. You get at the same cost that their employees get just to get you started in the precious metals space. The offer is so good. It is limited to just one per household, so you can get yours now. When you go to bullionmax.com slash steve, That's bullionmax.com slash Steve and get that silver starter kit at bullionmax.com slash Steve. Well, we spent uh, the uh, opening uh, few months of the year on this program uh, studying his book weekly on the program. He's been on the uh, on the show uh, several times over the last couple of years. We welcome him back again. Dr. Scott Atlas from Stanford University, former member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. And Scott, it is a pleasure to have you back here on the show, brother. How are you? Doing well. How about you? Uh, I could be uh, could be a little bit better, but I could be a lot worse. So there you go. So I, I was teasing the audience uh, at the top of the show that we were going to have you on, and that I really only had one question lined up, and then I was just going to ask it, and then just make sure that we got out of here for the top of the hour break on time. Okay. So here, so so I'll just start with this one question, then we'll just see how long it takes you to get answer, and then I'll see if I can come up with any more. All right. Anthony Fauci's retirement. Your thoughts. Well, Dr. Fauci uh, leaves a, uh, a legacy 
Uh, and uh, unfortunately for us, and really not just the country, but the world, the legacy will be long lasting. Here's what I mean by that. Dr. Fauci presided uh, over the biggest debacle in public health history over two presidential administrations, by the way, first with his uh, assistance of his underlings, Deborah Burks and Robert Redfield under the Trump uh, presidency, and then as chief medical advisor to President Biden, he presided over the pandemic. And in this, uh, the mandates, the lockdowns that he wanted, the school closures that he advocated for directly on Senate testimony and in the media, he got what he wanted, they got what they wanted, and that policy was a gross and horrific failure because it failed to stop the spread of the virus. It failed to protect those who we knew were going to die, the elderly. And there is a long lasting, really what I call a sinful legacy of harms on an entire younger generation of healthy children who have now been damaged. And there's tons of data, which I will go into in detail on how they've been damaged. The second uh, part of his legacy is the horrible and now dangerous distrust of public health leadership and health agencies in our country. Because his behavior and that of his uh, colleague, Francis Collins, head of NIH, but his behavior, Dr. Fauci's erratic pronouncements, uh, not being forthright on data, not projecting and telling the data to the American public, instead inculcating fear intentionally. He said he wanted more fear in the task force meetings, using fear to sway the public, uh, using the media to destroy and undermine all opinions that differed from his from other public health and medical science experts uh, that was revealed in the FOIA emails. This kind of uh, distrust mandating or advocating for, for vaccines in young, healthy children, an experimental drug where they don't have a benefit from it, thereby advocating using our children. And what kind of society would do this? Use our children as shields, okay? As a, that breaks the social contract we have as a moral civilization with our children. I'm a father. I'm there to protect my children. They're not to be used to protect me as if the vaccines would stop the spread anyway, which they don't. So this distrust of public health leadership, critical institutions that we need to rely on uh, as a public because there will be more crises. Uh, this is a, a, a huge part of his legacy. He personally was part of destroying that trust. Uh, and then uh, he woke us up to two things. Number one, we can never allow bureaucrats, bureaucrats like him, a person who's been in his position for almost 40 years, to have the power to dictate policy. That's not the role of a bureaucrat. That's not the role of an unelected person, unelected leader. That's not the role of, a, of an agency. An agency is supposed to give recommendations to the people in charge, not be in charge. We can never let that happen again. And then lastly, his legacy is that we need to restore medical and public health ethics into public health leadership. The ethics were broken 
in this pandemic. And what do I mean by that? Well, number one, public health is supposed to care about all health, total health, not just stopping some individual virus and destroying everybody in its wake. And that's exactly what was done. And secondly, if nothing else, public health policies are supposed to first and foremost protect the most vulnerable in society, and that's the elderly, children, the disabled, and that was just overtly broken, among other things, like, for instance, not being forthcoming with the public on the data, et cetera. So the one positive I would say is that Dr. Fauci's legacy woke us up to what can happen when we have incompetent, immoral, and unethical leadership in public health. We need to change these things. The institutions now are broken, science is politicized, and I and others are doing things uh, to fix that. You mentioned going into a deep dive on some of the data that quantifies the disaster, the what, as you described it, the sinful disaster of his legacy and policies. Can you share some of that data with us? Well, sure. And I have, I think we have to realize there's two parts to what happened with the lockdowns. Number one, they failed to do what they were said to do. If you look at the slope of the line on two administrations under Dr. Fauci's leadership, it was a constant slope of deaths per day for two, for two years. Okay. So it failed to do what it said. But second point is the lockdowns themselves, the restrictions themselves killed people and destroyed people. What do I mean by that? And, and particularly the children. Okay, we, we know the data, okay? There, were, uh, there was an explosion of psychiatric disease visits to doctors for teenagers. There was a dramatic increase in teenage girl suicides. This is during the lockdown. This is from the isolation, not the virus. This is the isolation, the policy caused this. There is an explosion of obesity in people in America ages 18 to 22, 52% of, of that age group, by the way, during 2020 gained unwanted weight and that weight gain averaged 28 pounds. Okay, that's obesity. Uh, there was an explosion of drug abuse, uh, uh, substance abuse disorders. 25% of college age students in June of 2020, just after the spring 2020 isolation policy, 25% of college-age Americans thought of killing himself. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands. in Just from spring school closures of 2020 alone, more than 300,000 cases of child abuse in America went unreported because schools are the number one agency for reporting child abuse. Uh, I mean, you know, this is uh, such a disaster. We have created with these fear-inducing, irrational mask mandates of children proven to have no scientific validity, but they went ahead and did that. We now have a whole generation of young kids who are walking around thinking they are a danger to everyone and everyone's a danger to them. Mm -hmm. Okay, we don't have any idea what the consequence of that will be. And not just that, the school closures themselves directly cause a massive learning loss, particularly in low-income families and poor kids, not to mention all the loss of socialization, 
the loss of nutritional value, people that are in lower socioeconomic groups, it might be the kid's best meal of the day, the school meal that was not available. Okay, we have a massive rise in domestic abuse, spousal abuse at home. And again, all these things are much worse for lower income people, single parent families. Lots of parents can't go and work from Zoom. So what, what the real sin of this, what another really immoral and perhaps unethical abuse of, of uh, the public trust from public health leadership, uh, you know, was that this was a shift of burden to the low income groups, to poorer families, to single parent homes who were deemed essential workers or even when they weren't, they were shut out of, of their jobs. Meantime, the affluent people, the people where I live in Palo Alto, the university professors, the news media, the politicians, what Martin Koldorf, my friend of Harvard epidemiologist, called a the lockdown, uh, the uh, laptop class. Mm -hmm. The affluent people had no no significant problems with this. If you look at the unemployment, they didn't suffer from this. They got their own kids educated because they have in their little neighborhood, a micro environment of PhDs and MD people to come in and just teach their kids. Uh, they ordered in from uh, Amazon, from the restaurants. You know, I mean, this was a really uh, incredibly sinful uh, class warfare that was instituted uh, by affluent, powerful people who, again, led by the Dr. Fauci's of the world, destroyed most working class and lower income families, yet the affluent people, they weren't that affected by it. I mean, I can't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a history uh, expert, but I, I can't imagine a time in American history uh, where such a class warfare existed since slavery. Scott, what are you doing now? And how can our audience continue to follow your work? They're well aware of the book, A Plague Upon uh, Our House. Like I mentioned at the top, we went through that book for several months um, in painstaking detail. Um, what are you doing yes, now? And I, and I, I think, uh, you know, I wish I could give everybody that book for free. I think this is the historical record. This is what happened. But it's more than that. It illustrates the truth. Okay, there are very few people who are willing to speak the truth. And when you speak the truth, uh, there's, a, there's a price to pay, and that's okay. It's too important, okay? We, we have a responsibility in, in, our, uh, in the country that we live in, in a free country, to step up, rise up to speak the truth, because people depend on it. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, repercussions from that are trivial compared to the importance of doing it. Now, what am I doing? I've, I'm working full-time as a senior fellow in health policy at Hoover Institution. I've also uh, begun two additional uh, efforts. Number one is the Academy for Science and Freedom under the wings of Hillsdale College in Washington, D.C., hmm. uh, where we have are just releasing today, in fact, and I think everyone should be aware of this, a restatement of ethical principles of public health uh, but we're also uh, trying to fix the destruction of science 
the politicization of science, the centralized power of science research funding, which is a really a cartel that controls the entire narrative. We need to fix that. We're doing that under that academy. And then lastly, I've started an international, I've co-founded an international policy institute, which is called the Global Liberty Institute in the United States and in Switzerland, uh, which addresses what, uh, and. Uh, global uh, on a global basis, but really uh, everywhere in the world where there's a free country, personal, economic, and social freedom, because these things are at risk right now. We need to reverse the loss of civil liberties. We need to reverse the non-objective media. We need to reverse this uh, herd uh, thinking and suppression of speech on university campuses. We need to ensure economic freedom and in that, I mean opportunity for everyone. And we need to counter this very harmful uh, input of international organizations like the World Economic Forum and others who are intent on reducing individual freedom and national sovereignty so that there can be some sort of a global agenda. This needs to be reversed. Everyone needs to be aware of it. And we are uh, working hard to do that. Great to hear. Uh, well, we've always been big fans from the beginning. Don't be a stranger. God bless you, man. Appreciate what you Thank do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it, guys. I, I don't. He used a word there, and he used it on multiple occasions. Sinful. That is really of everything that he said. I, I was particularly struck by that. Thoughts? Yeah. Again, it's it's as he tried to lay out in his book. It 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 was never some fog of war he went into this thing you saw his metamorphosis over the first time he's been on our show and i think he's been on our show like six times now mm -hmm. from from the beginning till now he he says in the book multiple times i kept waiting for everybody was going to wake up i mean the confusion would settle in and we would be scientists and we would do what we do and that never happened so as a man of reason and science he applied occam's razor and the only logical conclusion all this is sin at a cosmic level of depth he's dead on and i i choose those words purposely he is dead on because this is this has all been um all been about death i mean and destruction can you think of you think of a, like a malevolent being a malevolent being that like seeks to destroy I'm coming up. Let's. It's got working out this nefarious yeah. like. Um, that seems pretty conspiratorial, plot. cynical. Yeah. 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 It's almost. It's almost like that. Like played out. If that was actually a real thing, uh, in front of our eyes, and, and it has been. Uh, just echoing Todd quickly before we get out of here. Echoing Todd, it has been fascinating to see his evolution, and not only his, his evolution. But the fact he's doing something about it as yeah. well, that's exciting. That's the key. He's doing something about it as well. Yes. I will come back. Speaking of doing something about it, name of the book, Do What You Believe or You Won't Be Free to Believe It Much Longer. We will get into Theology Thursday next. All right, back here with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. Let us know what you think about what we think by 
Emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on uh, Twitter at Steve Day Show on Twitter and Getter. You can like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor and Gab. You can also find us on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace and get clips of the show free of any censorship and also free of charge to watch. When you go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show, those of you that listen to the podcast version, thank you. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review and hit us up as well with a subscribe or follow button. Uh, a lot of you have done that. That helps our show to continue to grow, uh, and we appreciate that. Uh, so that uh, this th- these are considered alms to the algorithmic gods. Uh, so thank you to, for each and every one of those. Uh, this part of the show is brought to you by our friends over at Home Title Lock. Homeowners, beware. You could already be a victim of home title theft and not have a clue because some cyber thief somewhere may have already forged your name onto the title to your home. And here's how you can find out. My partners in Home Title Lock, they've got a special free offer for you today. If you go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address there for free, and you'll get a no-obligation free home title scan to make sure that your home's title has not been attempted to be tampered with, is not being tampered with right now, and is in the free and clear. That's a $100 value. They are offering it to you today for free so that you have the peace of mind to know that everything is good to go with the most important investments you have, your own home, because your title is really the only proof that you own it. So make sure that it still claims that. When you go to HomeTitleLock.com, enter your address and take advantage of this opportunity with the code RADIO. No obligation, home title scan, $100 value at HomeTitleLock.com. Um, I just got this text from a friend of the show. And he sent me, he goes, I don't know if this is going around in the schools, but a buddy of mine who is, uh, has a kid, uh, who has a friend, let me say this again, a buddy of mine sent this, his friend has a kid in the public schools in the LA Valley. Not sure this is going around the schools, but it's going around the kids. The pamphlet, what to do if a stranger comes up to you on the street? And I'm, I'm looking at the actual pamphlet right now. Okay. You open it up. Do not be afraid. If a stranger walks up to you, no need to be scared. Usually they don't mean any harm. I've seen this. Do not scream or cry. You have seen this. But Do not scream or cry. This can hurt that person's feelings. Do not call him a pedophile. That can be just as offensive as the N-word. Try to get to know him better. He just wants to make new friends just like you. You said you've seen this before? I've seen graphics affiliated with this that somebody posted on Twitter, yes. I'm, I'm sorry to be silent. I don't, I don't trust myself right now to speak in response to this. There's really nothing more to say. There's only to do. Millstone update. And maybe that's a great... Yes. There you go. Let's get to Theology Thursday. Why do we need it? Yes. And this week, we kind of take a look at hierarchies of values and priorities, things that matter, what's in your open hand, what's in your closed hand, right? Uh, what does it mean to be salt and light? And so since Todd, you've been, you were the one that did all the study questions at the end of every chapter in the book. We've been letting you ask the questions as we go through my most recent book, do what you believe or you won't be free to believe it much longer. You're up. 
Okay, the first eight chapters, di diagnosing a lot of problems. The last chapter, as I told you uh, last week, uh, every time Steve says the church, it's spelled out, both words, in all caps. So we've established exactly what that is. Now there's details, and Steve spends the time talking about the principles and the priorities of what a true church should be. So in light of that, question one from the Latin, KS Veritas, or what is truth? Do people make you feel ashamed when you meet them if their truth is different from yours? And is that why we as a church remain so often silent? I, I think there are two characteristics that are missing in American and really all of Western culture today that are vital to a healthy culture. And these are two characteristics that there really truly is only one institution divinely ordained, providentially charged with instilling, modeling, promoting within a culture. And, and those two things are truth and empathy. Truth and empathy. And we live in a culture today where it is truth by desire. What I want to believe to be true is true, whether or not it actually is. How dare you inform me that what I believe is true, it actually is not true. And the one who is informing me of the truth is not seen as the liberator in this day and age. Um, it, it, you're seen as the oppressor. If you look at human history, as a species, we have really truly only ever truly censored two things. Perversion. Truth. Throughout the long arc, six plus thousand years of human history. There's really only two things we have truly censored, perversion and truth. And so if you look at social media platforms today, where the vast majority of American communication takes place, right? It's pretty obvious they don't seem to have much of a problem with perversion, right? That's pretty obvious. Yes. So then what's what else? So then that only leaves the other thing that's being censored, right? The truth. Uh, the truth. Yes. And as we just discussed with YouTube now deciding over a year later after the CDC admitted the vaccines don't stop the spread of the virus today over a year later they have finally determined that you get to say this now and it wasn't it didn't matter what data you presented i mean we would have to we, when we would put our show on youtube we would play the clip of rochelle walensky saying that the, the, she's the head of cdc they told us to trust the experts yeah okay she's saying on television that they don't that, that they don't stop the spread of the we would get dinged we'd have to take those clips out of the show we'd get dinged on youtube And so it's not that YouTube has suddenly decided it, that this is true. It's that acknowledging this truth fits whatever narrative YouTube is currently trying to craft and promote. Much of what we describe as truth in our culture today is, a, is, the, is the narrative that affirms our own. Has little or nothing to do with whether or not that is actually true. There is no institute, and this is, the, this is a void that the church can step in to play referee to call fouls truth fouls that's not true that is that's not true that is and in this context that's not just 
your pastor doing all the heavy lifting. The point is, you're the church sure. at all times sure. and in all places. Absolutely. There's the as a church on an institutional level also means you. I mean, I, I don't shouldn't have. I mean, you got to just Catholic just tell you you're part of the priesthood of every believer here. Pay attention to that. You know, um, the other the other factor is empathy. And and this is where I think a lot of churches actually get wrong with empathy. I think your average successful American evangelical church actually shows phenomenal empathy to unbelievers. Phenomenal un- empathy to people struggling in sin, making themselves available and open to you. I think the average evangelical American church actually does a phenomenal job with that. The problem is the empathy only runs one way. The average American evangelical church does not do a phenomenal job showing empathy to their own people. They do a great job of showing empathy to the unsaved, the unwashed. They don't do such a great job of showing empathy to the converted. You're often made to feel in your church if you're the one taking a stand. You're often made to feel, I'm guessing many of you, like you're the weird one. Maybe your own church makes you feel like that. Maybe you go to church on most Sundays and you're just hoping the pastor doesn't actually repudiate what you spent the entire week standing up for. Um, let, and, and you'll just, at this point, just take him not mentioning it at all, let alone that you will be affirmed and supported from the pulpit for standing up for those things. And what's ironic about that is the primary mission of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is the primary mission of the church. It is not to evangelize the lost. The primary mission of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What's one of the primary works of the ministry? To evangelize the lost. But you're to be equipped to do that. How are you equipped to do that? That you say yes to people who are suffering, and then you're equipped to say no to people who say who try to drag you down into what they're, uh, what they're immersed in. And so we do a great job right now of equipping you to help people who are suffering. We don't do such a great job of equipping you to say no to the culture that wants to drag you down into the pit with them. We don't do such a great job of that. And so the empathy only goes one way. Show love, show love, show love, show grace, show grace, show grace. The first time, except those are bastardized definitions of those terms. God is love incarnate. And yet the first time he provides a written testimony of his will and revelation to human beings, he gives two stone tablets to Moses. And he writes on them a series of do not statements. Don't do this. Do not do that. Do not do this. The first thing God does in written testimony is show and demonstrate what the boundaries are. These are the things you are to say no to. No. Boundaries you cannot cross. You do not have permission. You are in violation of your covenant with me if you do these things. No is the answer. We start with, let's start with what the boundaries are, what we cannot do. Many of our churches do not do that. I'm sure they would say, well, we don't want to offend the unbeliever. We don't want the unsaved to leave. Have you thought about when was the last time you were you feared offending the most powerful being in the universe. First, start with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then move on to loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Your neighbor is not God. Stop treating him as such. 
He's just a person that needs repentance to avoid eternal torment in hell every bit as much as you did. And repentance isn't usually spurred on by charitable acts, but by conviction of your own sin. We do not do charitable acts to convict people of their sin, but to show them the forgiveness and mercy of God. But there's another half of that equation. We don't do the other half very well. And so, not coincidentally, Todd, the two things that are missing more from American culture than anything else are those very two things, mercy and empathy. Number two, if the founders of this country were obviously talking about the primacy of both reason and revelation when they penned, quote, the laws of nature and nature's God, then why have emotional virtue signaling, victimology, and the separation of church and state been such seductive usurpers of the American plumb line? <laughs> well, we have to start with how do we know what the laws of nature and nature's God are? How do we know what they are? I mean, I remember when Rosie O'Donnell used to go on TV in the 90s and argue for homosexuality on the grounds that we see it in nature. Do you remember these days? Yes. Okay. Let's assume that that is true. Don't. That's actually not. But let's assume that it is. We also see in nature the flinging of your own feces, the gorging on um, lesser prey, uh, and then puking it up uh, to feed your cubs the, the, uh, the vomit as food. Um, and we, we see um, mass murder of a premeditated variety. It's called hunting. In you see what I'm saying? Yes. There's all forms of things we see in nature that we probably don't want to see emulated yeah. as human beings. Every day is the purge. Correct. Because they're not made in the image of God. They're not the Imago Dei. A lion is not the Imago Dei. You know that because you know what a lion is. But neither is your adorable Bichon, like my pet cap. He's not the Imago Dei either. Or, or furries, your, your, your beloved kitty. Not the Omaga Dei either. That, that was the conversation we were just having about where the crawdads sing. But in the end, it was morally subversive. The woman's moral compass was to identify with what goes on within soulless nature, which is really just a system a natural system for the perpetuation of the creation to our own benefit, by the way, the creation is to be perpetuated to the benefit of us because it, that's its purpose. It serves us. We don't serve it. We're higher than the creation. We're created in the image of God. You're higher than a tree. You're more valuable than a newt and a salamander. But again, where would these where would these self-evident truths come from? How would we know they're self-evident? Who would introduce them to a culture? And then once introduced, you're like, oh yeah, well, now that I've seen that play, it's about it's so obvious, it's pretty self-evident at that point. When, you, when someone turns you on to it and you see it, it becomes pretty self-evident at that point. Who does that? Who introduces that? What, what, I, what I find, and I, I said this at our small group last night, I want to get your take on this, because it, it goes into this question as well from the other side. I think a lot of American churches actually benefited 
from the politicization that they now decry. Because I think a lot of churches got to build pretty massive followings and populations, realizing that they only had to to discuss the love and grace and mercy of Christ. And that they just would, you know, let your local pro-family group or your local Republican politician handle the the truth and immorality, the, 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 the messy, divisive stuff. That stuff got to get outsourced, right? Well, now, you know, we're in an age where, frankly, we're sitting here. We don't know if 88-year-old Charles Grassley is going to vote for gay marriage next week or not. Literally, we don't know, okay? And so now you can't trust your Republican politician anymore. And you're not even sure what, how many of your pro-family groups you can actually trust anymore. And so now you're like, you know, now that I think about it, was I really... Was I supposed to be getting that stuff from a political party or, a, you know, a, a parachurch organization anyway? Wasn't I supposed to be getting that stuff from the church, right? And so a bunch of our people are like, I, I'm going to go back to the source of where this stuff is supposed to be taught and shared and, and, and ministered and modeled to a culture to begin with. And now all these pastors with these huge followings and these huge churches... They don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want to fulfill that other half of their obligation because they won't be as huge anymore if they do. Or at least that's their fear. They can't contemplate that God may prune a tree, that God may say, "Yeah, you're probably going to lose." Like I, the church in Chattanooga I was at earlier this month. I think they told me they had in the last two years they've lost something like a thousand people, but then had like a thousand new people come and people like driving from hours away because they're like, "Hey, we're getting fed here. Let's go. That's worth the drive." You know, the, the idea that your God is too small, that, that people in your, in your community just couldn't possibly be saved if, 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 if God didn't have your unique and genuine, clever, winsome way to win people over. Couldn't possibly happen any other way. He couldn't possibly prune a tree, get rid of the dead weight that's really not serious about this in your congregation anyway, and bring you people that really are serious about it. And, and since they're serious, they might actually tithe more because they're serious about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I think such a thing happening would be far more obvious if it's happening within evangelical circles because uh, you tend to be more holistically conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem in the Catholic world is one you've diagnosed uh, in multiple political elections before is the roughly 50 50 split Mm -hmm. that has caused that that and the catholic vote or a lot of elections have hinged on which way that swings so you have you have a golem-esque problem within the catholic church um pew sitters right now and you have two very different people amongst those who are more politically conservative they may be going through that but i don't know that holistically the Catholic, does it, does what I'm saying make yep. sense? Okay. Yeah. Because that the overall social teaching there has embraced or allowed a, a little, a level of comfort to yes non to, to wayward ideologies when we get outside of issues like abortion and gay marriage, yeah, they wanted, right? Those people. Those people go become universalists or something if they're mm-hmm. Protestant loosely. They're not going to be sitting in your church, mm-hmm. but they are sitting in a lot of Catholic mm-hmm. churches. Number three, how often during a typical day do you contemplate the work of either God or the devil in your life? Is your prayer life offensive or defensive in nature? I, I think... That 
and I know this is going to sound counterintuitive because of how much I'm using the term demonic in my everyday analysis these days, but I, I actually do think that we underestimate our God. And, and it's subtle, but it's distinctive. When we say things like, all we have left to do is pray. Contemplate what you just said. Again, let me rephrase that. Contemplate what we've all just said, because we've all said this, <laughs> all right, in some context. <sighs> Every option's exhausted. I've tried them all. I guess the only thing to do here is to appeal to the most powerful being in all of the universe. See what he's got up his sleeve, right? When you lay it out like that, how dumb does that sound? As dumb as anything you and, could possibly say. And yet, have we all not essentially said that thing? Well, yes. more than more than that, all of our life on any given day has basically right. born. It, it's enfleshed that. Correct. It has made that incarnate. I go to the. Remember last Friday on 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 Feedback Friday, the email we got from the guy who says, "I'm so despondent. Yeah. Every opportunity in, that we've had to make a dent in the culture is is gone. I feel like all we have left to do is to pray and live faithfully." Do you guys do you remember yeah, my answer no, to that? I'm of like, course, brother. That's actually been the plan all along. Yeah. I mean, how'd we do this thing called truth before there was a Republican party to bitch and complain about? What do we, what, what, the church began in 1791 when the U.S. Constitution was ratified. Now it's got almost 1800 years under its belt prior to that yeah. moment. What did it do all these times? How, how did we survive? And, and I think that gets back to the whole empathy question though. That our... Let me give you an example of what I mean. Do you mind? Successful, wealthy guy at a major corporation goes to his past, his, his, his evangelical pastor and says, I'm not sure I'm being generous enough. You know, I'm very well off. You know, I'm feeling really convicted. Can you, you know, help me to live a more generous life, to, to more model the generosity that God has given me and, and passing that generosity on to others. Any pastor is going to say, yeah, introduce him to a couple of good causes, maybe something that they're thinking about doing for an outreach program at the church, point him to some verses about generosity, you know, consider the lilies in the field, right? Right, right. That yeah. would go on, right? Okay. That exact same individual goes to his pastor and the says, exact same pastor. Exact same pastor. And the exact same individual. Later on goes to that same pastor and says, hey, this corporation here, they're, they're starting to do ESG, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They, you know, are telling me, you know, I'm a high-ranking VP of this corporation. They're telling me that I have to impose this trans stuff on my entire division that I got to go through it. I have to affirm it. I got to sign. I have to sign my name to affirm their diversity, equity, and inclusion statement. What do I do? This goes back to what I just said a few minutes ago. We do a great job of teaching our people how to say yes. How many pastors have told our people when to and then equipped them for saying no. 
no gets said sometime, otherwise hell would be empty. We all agree something's down there, right? Yeah. We all agree somebody's down there, right? So at some point, no needs to be said. Now, the heart of God tilts towards forgiveness. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But does it cancel judgment? No. Mercy triumphed over judgment at the cross, right? It was accomplished. The wrath of God had been satisfied. Yes. The law had been fulfilled, right? Yes. That Was the law canceled? No. Was it fulfilled? Yes. Are those two totally different things? Yes. Hell yeah, they are. Hell emphasis. Yeah, they are. For emphasis that the law has not been canceled, I present to you exhibit one. Hell is full. It has been fulfilled. Mercy triumphs over judgment, but it has not been canceled. Along those lines, I think you the next two questions I'll combine because they dovetail perfectly with what you're saying, and I'll let you finish. Okay. How are compassion and tolerance different? Which do or should Christians tend to practice more? How are justice and utopia different? Which do or should Christians tend to aspire to more? Christians should oppose tolerance as it's defined in this day and age. Because it is, def it is defined as affirmation and endorsement. And utopia, Christians should recognize um, from Babel onward, every attempt to create that east of Eden has had disastrous to genocidal, democidal consequences. And utopia never is um, some kind of post-millennial, Rush Dooney-inspired... Uh, Christian Republic. Those who advocate utopia don't even know what an, who an R.J. Rushduni was. Their definition of those things is a lot different than yours, I promise you. So as a default mechanism, those are should be instant buzzwords in the culture in which you live that should set your spidey sense off as a believer right away. And just to go, just to hammer again the point that empathy only goes one way. How many times have you heard me say every time you turn into Tolerance Boulevard, it's a what? One way street. It's a one way street. You have to tolerate their you have to tolerate their blasphemies. They don't have to tolerate your glorifications. That's not a social compact. That's tyranny. That's not tolerance. It's oppression. And it's on purpose. It's somehow you keep stupidly accepting it and feeling good about it. And I think it, I think a lot of what has happened to the suburban American church, and I bring that up because that's where the, that's where most evangelical churches are centered or in the suburbs, is a lot of them were established in ages, eras like the late 80s, early to mid 90s, where you move to the suburbs to escape the front, frontal assault going on in the urban areas of the culture war, Right. And so there was this idea that you lived in this refuge where these things weren't going to come to your front door. You got comfortable. You got comfortable. And now they're here. They're real and they are spectacular. And then you just drove down your suburban street one day and saw a trans flag. And you're like, what, what, the, what, what, what? And it was like the neighbor you've like lived on that street with for like 20 years. And you're like, what? We just had a Memorial Day picnic. Why they have a trans flag in their yard, right? Mm -hmm. And there'll be more. Because just because the light isn't interested in advertising and advancing its values doesn't mean the dark's going to be like, yeah, 
We'll sit this one out too. No, nature abhors a vacuum and it will fill that void. And that is what is going on right now. And I just think a lot of you, within the sound of my voice, have not been adequately prepared by your church for what is coming and what's already here. And that's because the church showed more empathy to the people who didn't follow Jesus than it showed to the ones who did and do. It only goes one way. Tolerance only goes one way outside the church. Empathy only tends to go one way within the church. The people that are on the front lines pushing back against this evil and stopping these entities from shutting those exact same churches down are often treated as pariahs within their church. Curiosities. But that's okay. Do you know who else was treated as a pariah and as a curiosity? John the Baptist for doing things like confronting Herod in the street. And Jesus said about him, no man born of women has ever been more blessed. So you are in good company. Sweaty teenagers, your poker buddies, your pets, maybe it's something else, maybe a little more personal. Whatever you've got going on in your home from a smell standpoint, if you think there is nothing you can do about it, uh, put our friends over at EdenPureDeals.com slash Steve with the discount code Steve3. Put them to the test with their proven oxy technology from their thunderstorm air purifier. It quickly destroys a lot of the bad stuff, anything from viruses to odors to molds, so much more in your air. They are filterless. I don't know how that works. I did ask. They explained it, and then I couldn't understand their explanation. But I can tell you from my own experience in my own home that it works. I've seen from other people that have emailed me, and they've tried the product as well. It works in their home, too. Uh, odors from litter boxes, trash cans, uh, smoke, dirty diapers, and more. No match for the powerful thunderstorm sent out from the O3 molecules within the Eden uh, Thunderstorm air purifier. It's an outstanding product. It's just a mouthful to say, okay? So just go to EdenPureDeals.com, give it a shot, get $200 off right now. That's, well, man, 200 bucks off, how expensive is it, Steve? Well, you get, it, the units come in three packs. That's why Steve3 is the promo code for the discount, because they come in packs of three. So you'll get it for under 200 bucks and 200 bucks off. Uh, a pack of three and free shipping to give it a shot today at EdenPureDeals.com, discount code Steve3 at EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code Steve3. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, three, hopefully somewhat, maybe decent questions. Because we need a break from the demise and fall of Western civilization. First up... What is the most overrated sports event on the sports calendar? 
What's the most underrated? I would say the Olympics are the most overrated. Um, I would have really disagreed with you about five, six, seven years ago, but now I don't really care. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's kind of, I, I don't have a lot of team USA, team USA yeah. zeal any longer. Um, and it's kind of hard to, we don't really have a natural rivalry like we had with the Soviet Union when I was growing up and the Olympics were must see TV back in those days. Plus like. Three of the last four Olympics have been across halfway across the planet, and so you can't watch most things live. Right. The last few times. Correct. That's that's a big part of it too. You're right, but uh, I just you know, uh, frankly, uh, well, Steve, we got China. Well, I mean, a lot of the athletes that we put up there in high profile positions, particularly on the soccer team, they want us to be China. You know, so it's kind of hard to when you're people running your Olympic teams or the athletes themselves uh, love China kind of hard to fashion China into your rival, you know? So to me, the Olympics just have, have almost no juice left with me. I, I, I find them, I, I would make that the most overrated event. And for underrated, uh, I'm going to say game seven, man, of a Stanley Cup playoff series, especially if it goes in overtime. Just because hockey is the clear fourth major league sport right now in the country, and it's a distant fourth. So... I just think that that's a spectacle that a lot of people are missing out on. So that would be my most underrated. Uh, my most underrated is your most overrated. You're missing the forest for the trees. I, th th there's no doubt that obviously, and especially our generation, the uh, with the USSR and the 1980 miracle on ice and everything like that. But even without that, I mean, it 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 it's it's a bias, and it's not one that's. It's okay if your preference is all is nothing but traditional team sports, but the amount of dedication, aptitude, regardless of whether we have a narrative or not in the Olympics, uh, it's it's amazing and it's amazing as it's ever been. We've had some of the most amazing athletic accomplishments uh, in the history of not only American but world sports in terms of records being broken, Usain Bolt, things like that. It's as good as it's ever been in, in, in some ways. And Michael Phelps, again, I know you appreciate. Sure. Steve, you've read. So, uh, but if it's, I, those sports also mean a lot more in my own personal life, my kids. So I, th there's a reason why Steve says what he says and what I say what I, but I, I do think they are uh, underrated. Overrated, I think, for very interesting reasons. And just bear with me because this is, I have plenty of trolls for football, college football, uh, and rightly so. But this one, it's the current college football national championship. And it's because it worked too well that whatever we call it right now, everybody hated some really good team was always being left out when it was just two. Now that we got to four, we really have far, far, far less controversy. But it's actually made the actual national championship game, as often as not, underwhelming. There's been some good ones and some doozies, but now it's why we got what we wanted and we're already sick of it and we need the 16. Uh, so it's, I think that's been fascinating how coming to grips with how something that worked, people got what they wanted, it, in a, it kind of boomeranged back on them. I think for me, most overrated is what's going on right now is the Little League World Series. I just, maybe I'm just 
I'm just, I'm probably, I probably am just a curmudgeon. I, I just think it's a bunch of helicopter parents who think Timmy and Joey are just God's gift to baseball and you're never going to see them ever again play. They're just, this is the pinnacle of their career. Holy cow. This is the pinnacle of up. their <laughs> career. What? <laughs> Old man shakes fists at cloud at a new level. I mean, wow. I... <laughs> Un McIntyre, you magnificent SOB. I just too. I know, I know wow. that's really, really curmudgeonly. Don't, I just I just can't get into don't it. Don't come to me with your well, The only you, thing it makes me happy about is that I know that like next week football season begins every time. Every little league rule that, series. That, that might be the meanest thing ever said on this show in its history, <laughs> and that is saying something. Yes. Um, Phenomenal. I think the most the most <laughs> Phenomenal under, Jim. Underrated <laughs> Now, tremendous, I'm gonna, I'm tremendous gonna, take. I'm gonna piss off a heck of a lot more people. It's the final rack him. It's the final match day of the Premier League. Every single, every oh single team plays at the same time, and it's all. There's always like some. There's always pandemonium. It seems like where, uh, at least at the bottom of the standings, teams trying to avoid relegation. This last year. Uh, it wasn't until like I don't know the 65th minute or so when we kind of figured figured out who was uh, who was going to be the the eventual champion of the the Premier League. So it's actually it's actually really underrated, mostly because we're you, know, you 12 year old little leaguers get the hell out of here with your nonsense. But uh, Premier League soccer, I expect better of you. Can, can we raise the game a little bit? That's <laughs> phenomenal. That is, that I'm is, just that's the most treasonous <laughs> segment in the history of this show. None dare call it. It is, it is, it is, that was just pure unadult. It wasn't, it wasn't anger. It was treasonous. America is truly It was dead. treasonous. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Little League. I didn't even make that connection before. Little League to Premier League. Yikes. My bad. I still believe it though. Oh, it was beautiful. Uh, number you know, two. What's your prediction? Give me, give me a good, a good solid prediction. You know, uh, a detailed prediction about your college football team. What they're going to do this year. Uh, I think Michigan will be better than it was last year. This is the actually this is the team that back they were, on the train, baby. Uh, you know I don't. I hate back you on do the that, train. You know I don't operate that way. They they were actually building to this team. Last year's team was the shock. They, they d- did not think that, that was going to happen. The the they were trying to. That's why all the coaches in Harbaugh's contract year were all giving two year deals. They were. This was the team that was expected with the way they had been recruiting that they would. Uh, they would end up competing, if not vanquishing Ohio State. I think Michigan will be better than it was last year. And I think if you watch the the BTN bus tour on the Big Ten Network, they're still talking and tweeting about what they saw at Michigan. They were completely blown away. They expected that Aiden Hutchinson, who I love and adore, by the way, but that he was essentially the entire program. Last year was about trying to rebuild the culture and win as many games as you could so that they could get a second year to get to this year. It just turned out that they caught lightning in a bottle and it went much better than they thought. But I, this will actually be Harbaugh's best team this year, especially. And then if you look at the schedule they're playing against, I mean, they're just going to physically roll pretty much every team on their schedule, except for a couple of games. And then you have Ohio State at the end of the year. And I think both those teams, I think it'll be like 2006. I think both of those teams or 2016, they'll both be in the top five. And I wouldn't be shocked if they were both undefeated going into that game. Uh, the Badgers right now are kind of like my Packers Aaron Rodgers principle, but the Packers are always going to be 
a solid playoff team with a chance at making a run at the Super Bowl, but like it's every year, every year, every year. So that's a lot of fun, but um, it hasn't panned out. We have a quarterback who hasn't panned out really at all uh, with Wisconsin, who is supposed to be the best recruit we've ever had from the outset. You know, you're not counting Russell Wilson, who you rented for a year. I mean, and it's, I mean, he's in the bottom tier of Big Ten quarterbacks. So I just expect what I have, have expected the last few years with him. It's the Badgers are fundamentally uh, sound, very much along the Iowa principle. Uh, they're going to be better than most teams, but y- you need him to play much better to uh, beat uh, the top dogs and, and make a deeper run. But I have two teams now, Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, going to be really, really uh, exciting uh, team. They've got a uh, really interesting quarterback. He's kind of a throw, uh, a throwback, uh, really good uh, runner. And that whole athletic program is just kind of reinvigorated. So, Wu Pig uh, Sui, I'm excited. Uh, they had a fantastic year last year, and they have enough back that, like Steve said about what he believes uh, with Michigan, Arkansas should actually be better. Uh, I think for Iowa, there's a chance they could be significantly better and have a significantly worse record at the same time, like a seven-win record. But I, I would you have ag- the same problem I do. Your quarterback, yeah. right? Yeah, quarterback, and really, I, actually, it's a different. Pro- I think it's the entire offensive scheme. Oh well, you know, then there's, there's that. that. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> so I, I do think there are a couple of yes again. McIntyre. Yeah, no, I just. <laughs> There, there is that. Um, Someone just, just emailed me. Whatever Aaron's taking before the show, I want some of that. Uh, it's called sleeping in for once, which apparently makes me more curmudgeonly. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I think they're I, if they can actually, ha- I, I think it's going to be hard for them to be worse than they were offensively last year because they were nearly, nearly at the the bottom of the pack. I mean, they were down there. I think it's hard to do worse than that. I also think they have some athletes. Again, they have for the last couple of years. They just don't utilize them. So. You know, if they can actually protect the quarterback, there's a chance the offense, the passing game could be better. I also think the backs that they have to kind of run more north and south. So I think those two factors, they could be a little bit better offensively. I think the defense could be significantly better, even than last year's defense, which was a great. They have uh, players now on the defensive line, and they have good depth on the defensive line as well uh, to, to to give a pass rush that they really didn't have for much of last year. So I think they could be significantly better and have a significantly worse record because of who's actually on their record and maybe an ascendant Nebraska. I don't I don't know. So that's kind of my prediction. I would say I'm going to be really bold here. Eight and fours, something like that, because that's kind of what they finish every year. All right. Before you do the final question. A reminder that in these unprecedented times, Ding. you need to make sure before you get into this real estate market and the Let's Go Brandon economy, that you don't have a Let's Go Brandon real estate agent. All right, you need one that you can trust, and you would find one of those at realestateagentsitrust.com. We made it as easy for you as possible. Uh, a lot of times, these agents come from right here in this audience, so you know they have the same values that you do. They got your back. We've got thousands of agents waiting in line to get listed in this database because we don't just take anybody. Yeah. Your track record of success has to be long validated and verified. All right. Because we're putting the credibility of uh, the, the blaze here behind that recommendation. So to get you started, 
uh, today. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com, provide some basic info, and then our team will reach out and contact you to make an introduction to a preferred agent in your town or the town you're trying to get to. When you go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Final question on a different note. What's the difference between judging and condemning or judgment and condemnation? Uh, do we mean this in a criminal context, in a spiritual one? In a spiritual, theological. Um, well, in a condemnation, when the Bible says there is no longer no condemnation for those who are in Christ, it is talking in terms of eternal. It doesn't say you're without any consequences, but that you will know, you will not be eternally condemned uh, because of because you're covered by the atonement of Christ. Think of it in terms of a of a real estate property. When a real estate property is condemned, it's beyond reparable. That right? It's usually taken away from that landlord. It's you know, maybe going to be demolished. Okay, destroyed. All right. Um, but there are before we get to a condemnation, there could be lots of things a landlord could do with that property that would lead it to lead him to getting consequences for his actions. Right? Okay. So that's where I would make those two distinctions between consequences and and condemnation from a theological or a biblical construct. And from a judgment standpoint, um, yeah, it, 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 by what standard are we judging? That is the issue. And are we evenly applying those standards of judgment, right? That, are, are we applying them to ourselves? Uh, or are we just applying them to others? I think that's one of the most devastating aspects of the book of Romans, which I think is the greatest theological treatise ever written, is that Paul demolishes arguments against the gospel that are still hundreds, if not a thousand or 2000 years away. But in between that, as you're kind of rooting him on for the home team, he'll, he'll every now and then turn the tables on you and say, Hey, look at yourself here. And we're going to do that now in this next, uh, you know, section of writing. And so I think that segment, they're, they're judgmental and judgment are not the same thing in a biblical worldview. Judgmentalism is often associated with one-sidedness, uh, hypocrisy, a failure to have any self-awareness. Judgment is prudent, provided it is evenly and adequately yes. and properly ascribed. Uh, judgment is more uh, process-driven. Condemnation has a greater finality to it. But beyond that, all I know in both cases, the Little Leaguers of America felt both of them <laughs> from Aaron McIntyre today. And I can't decide if that's going to be my best or worst of the week. Uh. <laughs> Uh, that, very well played. Um, I think, Steve, you did a good job of uh, explaining condemnation in kind of the vertical, eternal sense. I think in the, the horizontal, how we deal with people, judgment is an observation. Condemnation is, uh, is as Todd said, kind of a finality. Like, thank God I'm not like them. They're beyond repair. I think that's, that's how I define it, at least in the horizontal sense. All right, the show's done. We're sticking around to do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you... We'll see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.